well, it seems most appropriate to me after those readings that we, and then the whole church said, Amen. Amen. I had an occasion several years ago uh, where I was a speaker where there were several other different speakers throughout the, the weekend. And I remember a conversation a couple of days into it where someone came up clearly emotional. You could see the the emotion in their face. You could see their eyes watering, the voice quivered. And eventually they said, I just want to say thank you so much for your lesson. And they went on to talk about how, how I had talked about the love of God and they referenced specifically that one story that I had told about my friend. And as they were sharing all this emotion with me, I was awfully confused until I realized they had mistaken me for another speaker. I had not talked about the topic that they said, nor had I told the stories that they had said until I realized they had got the wrong person. And that's kind of an awkward thing sometimes, when somebody's thanking you for something that you did not do. As we look at worship this morning, one of the things that we want to explore is we want to explore to whom we ought to be giving all of our attention and all of our praise and all of our worthy. Because it is clear in the Bible that there are some things that are not worthy of our worship. Perhaps a an easy example comes from John's experience. John, who had heard and seen great things throughout the book of Revelation. And after hearing and seeing those things, as John is in the presence of an angel, he fell down and worshipped at the feet of the angel who showed him those things. And what do you remember was it that the angel said? The angel insisted that John get up and quickly said, You must not do that. And instead, he redirected where the worship should go. And so he implores John, worship God. Have there ever been times and occasions where we offer glory and honor and praise to one to whom we ought not to? And who is it then that is deserving? To whom should we direct all of our worship? And as we go through the New Testament, I suspect that we will find that there are things that we need to learn in terms of the source of worship. And we'll begin with the easiest, most undisputed answer of one who is worthy of our praise, God the Father. See, through both Testaments, both old and new, God continues to be the focus. Consider Psalm 95 and the ways that it, it brings praise and honor to God. It says, For the Lord is a great God, and a great king above all gods. For the Canaanites, their highest deity, their highest god was El. And the first line here says that God, Yahweh, is the great El. They take your God, the highest of your gods, and they say God is placed even over and above whatever is the greatest God to which the other nations worship. It affirms God's sovereignty over all of the unseen powers forces and spirits and gods at work in this world, wherever they are, whatever they may be, God rules and reigns above them. So God is sovereign above all things in this unseen universe. And then in verses 4 and 5 we come to find, in His hands are the depths of the earth, the heights of the mountains are also His. 
The sea is his, for he made it, and the dry land which his hands have formed. So not only does God rule over the unseen powers in the unseen world, he sovereignly rules over the seen universe as well. Whether it be mountains or oceans or dry land or any of those sort of things, God is the one who rules over those things and he is authoritative above the seen universe. We're told in verse 1 that God is the rock of our salvation and then in verse 7, for he is our God and we are his people, the sheep of his hand. God has graciously established a relationship with his people. God doesn't desire to simply just be far and distant apart, but he comes in and he makes a relationship that we can call him our God, that we become his very own people, the very sheep of his pasture. And so we find that, yes, God indeed, God the Father, is worthy of praise. And as we get into the New Testament, we find that focus carries over. Last week we studied John chapter 4, wherein Jesus was saying in 421 that we are to worship the Father. And so there is this focus on the worth of God the Father. Perhaps even as we just quickly glance through Matthew, we'll see some of these examples. In the temptation in Matthew chapter 4, verse 10, Jesus says these words. He says, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then we come to the next chapter, chapter 5, wherein Jesus is teaching and he says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and do what? And give glory to your Father in heaven. Or as Jesus in the next chapter, chapter 6, as he teaches people to pray, we recognize the prayer is thoroughly God-focused. We are to pray in such a way that it keeps the name of God hallowed and holy. It is the will of Jesus, the desire of Jesus, that the will of the Father be done here on earth, just as it is in heaven. And so Jesus is thoroughly focused on God the Father receiving all of the glory and all of the honor and the praise in his ministry. We find this as we get to these, what are called doxologies, passages of praise. Like 2 Corinthians 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of mercies and the God of all consolation. Or Ephesians 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And so we conclude, first of all, God the Father is indeed worthy of worship. But now as we look, we ask the question, well, what are we to do with Jesus, who clearly seems to wish and will that his Father be the one who receives the glory and the honor and praise. We learned last week in John 4 that as we talked about worshiping in spirit and in truth, I made the case that I think what's being talked about there is when the Spirit of God and Jesus Christ himself being the truth. And so we find New Testament worship in some way incorporates the Son and the Spirit into the worship. But what then are we to do with Jesus? There are certainly some ancient and contemporary branches of faith-affiliated groups that do not believe that Jesus should be worshipped. In fact, one of the earliest resistance we have to Jesus is that Jesus went around doing things that only God does, saying things that only God says, and allowing people to worship him. And those early Jewish people were turned away from this fact because they believe if Christ was worshipped, then something was taken away from God the Father. 
And yes, we do see, as we've pointed out, there is a focus on the glorification of the Father. But we find in the New Testament is also Christ-centered. That as Christ becomes more and more central in the New Testament, then God also receives more of the glory and of the honor. Consider these two verses, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11. So that God may be glorified in all things through Christ Jesus. So through Christ, who receives the glory? God the Father does. And to Him, and then people will debate about the Him, whether that be Christ or whether that be the Father. I think either way it works. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. But as Christ is glorified, it seems to be that somehow the corollary is that God Himself is glorified through Jesus Christ. And Jesus Himself said in John 14, 13, I do whatever you ask in my name, but notice the purpose and the reason, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So the Son wishes that as He, as he works as an intermediary in our prayers, as our prayers are answered, that then as the Son is glorified, that then simultaneously the Father is also glorified again through or by the means of the Son. See, it is the Son who wishes the glory of the Father. See, I see the relationship of the Father and the Son in worship much like a canal. Now, I don't think there's an awful lot of canals here in Montana, but I grew up 20 minutes from the Welland Canal. What happens if you've never seen a canal is the boat will enter into the lock system, the locks close behind it, and then they fill it to water. Until it gets to the next level, it'll move into the next lock, and it'll fill with water. Most often, it's large barges that go into the lock, and it gets filled with water. But on occasion, it's several boats that they will go in. And as the water raises, every single boat that in, is in the water is elevated and raised. That's the relationship between the Father and Son. As the Son is glorified, we will come to find out that the Father is simultaneously glorified. When the Father is lifted up and glorified, we find that simultaneously the Son is lifted up and glorified. Consider this example in Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, God also highly exalted him. So now God is exalting Christ and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So do you see the glorification that is happening of Christ in here? Even the Father exalts the Son. And the people will exalt the Son through the confession, Jesus is Lord. The knees are bent to sign of worship. But then notice, as Christ is lifted up, what is the final result that happens in the process here? All this is done to the glory of God the Father. As we lift up Christ, the Father is lifted up. And as the Father is lifted up, so also Jesus himself is lifted up. And so we find in New Testament worship, praise is sometimes directed at the Father, sometimes directed at the Son, but both are lifted up when the other is as well. Perhaps the best place where you see this balance of worship is in Revelation chapter 4 and then in Revelation chapter 5. It is in Revelation 4 that we find what we could call God-focused worship. Speaking of the Father, we are told that He is worthy, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. But then the very next chapter, chapter 5, it is Christ-focused worship. We're sped of Christ Himself. Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. 
So in New Testament worship, the focus of our worship is the Father. But as we make Christ more central, Christ himself is glorified, but the final thing that we see is the Father himself is glorified. And so we worship Christ because he is indeed worthy to be worshipped. And as we worship, the Father himself receives the glory that is due him and that he deserves. So we've talked about the Father and we've talked about the Son, but now we come to the question of the role of the Spirit in worship. And essentially the question is, if we appeared and bowed down before the Spirit, what would be his response? Would it seem awkward in any way to him? And some will say of the Spirit, no, the Spirit is to be worshipped. They follow a very logical procession. The question is, is God worthy of worship? And the answer to that question is yes. Is the Spirit God? And the answer to that question is yes. Therefore, the Spirit is worthy of worship. Thus, because the Spirit is a part of this Godhead, the Father and the Son and the Spirit, that makes Him worthy of praise. And without a doubt, the Bible, the New Testament, holds this threefold view of God. And yet, and yet when it comes to worship, there is not a single New Testament example that I can find where the Spirit is an object of worship. If you look at the doxologies, those, those passages of praise that we looked at, we will see sometimes the Father and sometimes the Son, but never reference to the Spirit being a part of this doxology of praise. And so then what sense is New Testament worship in the Spirit and truth, and what does it look like for the Spirit to be incorporated in our worship? I think the primary thing that we find is the Spirit is the empowerment the method through which we worship Father and Son. So there seems to be a functionally unique role of the Spirit in worship. Consider Philippians 3.3. For it is we who are the circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and boast in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. So the Spirit is the means by which the boasting in Christ happens. Because the Spirit wants to bring boasting to Christ because he believes Christ's name is worthy to be glorified. Or consider Ephesians chapter 5, 18 and 20. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And so what will come out or flow forth from one full of the Spirit? As you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs among yourselves, singing and making melody to the Lord in your hearts giving thanks to God the Father at all times and for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so God is glorified through Christ, and that's what the Spirit is bringing about, the exaltation of the Father and the Son. So it seems to me that the ministry of the Spirit seems to be enhancing our boasting in Christ, our thanksgiving to God through the name of Jesus. So it may be most accurate to say that we worship the Father through the Son by the Spirit. The Spirit plays an important role in worship, but instead He prefers not to be the object of our worship. Think about it in the context of prayer and the things we know of prayer. Very similar. We do have prayers example that the majority of prayers are directed to the Father. There are a couple of occasions where prayers are directed to the Son. And yet the Spirit is never the one to whom a prayer is directly offered. 
But yet the Spirit is involved in prayer. We're told Romans 8, 26, that the Spirit is helping and assisting us in prayer. He serves as an intermediary or connects us to the Father in and through prayer. So the Spirit is dynamically involved in the process of prayer, but is not the object of prayer. And so perhaps the most specifically nuanced way to say this, because we can thank the Spirit for His ministry, because we recognize what the Spirit is being done. But Daniel Block suggests, and I think this makes sense, that we are better off referring to Him in the third person rather than addressing Him directly. And so we thank Jesus for the gift of the Holy Spirit and the work that He is doing within us. We thank the Father for the way that the Spirit brings us into worship. Because without a doubt, it seems like the best way to say it is the Spirit is kind of shy when it comes to worship. Perhaps that terminology will help us if we recognize the difference between direct worship and indirect worship. In terms of direct worship, we directly address the Father and the Son. We express our love and adoration to them and our appreciation. And yet we don't have any examples of the Spirit being directly worshipped. And yet in terms of indirect worship, we find that when we, when we respond to the work that the Father is doing through the Son and the Spirit, as we love others, guess who receives glory and honor and praise for that? The entire Trinity, the Father and the Son and the Spirit. See, while we do not worship the Spirit directly, we honor the Spirit by how we treat our brothers and sisters. Because as the Spirit is involved in the relationship between the Father and the Son, the Spirit is also involved in our relationships with each other. So when we love one another, we show our belovedness, our appreciation of God. See, perhaps you could think about it this way. There's an occasion where somebody had a birthday on a Wednesday night. And I knew they had a birthday, but I also knew they were really shy. And they didn't like an awful lot of attention to be brought to them. And so I thought the best way to honor them on their birthday was to just not say anything publicly. I mean, why embarrass someone and say, here's your birthday present? And yet, not everybody shares that same philosophy. And someone said, oh, we need to all gather around. We need, to, we need to sing happy birthday to this person. And the entire time that everybody was singing happy birthday to them, they were kind of miserable. And you could tell they were miserable because they did not want the attention. And is it possible that the Spirit of God is delighted when we delight in the Father and the Son? That as the Spirit redirects attention, sometimes in shyness, the best way to honor someone is a very different way than a direct way to honor them, but indirectly. See, it seems to me the most biblically faithful thing to do is to ensure that God remains the focus of our worship. And that Jesus himself is central and that the Spirit saturates that entire process as the Spirit brings us in harmony and in praise to the Father and to the Son. And when undue attention comes to the Spirit, the ministry of the Spirit may actually be to say, no, redirect your attention. Give your praise. Give your glory. Give your honor to the Father and to the Son. And so we do recognize God's worth in praise. That God is the focus. Christ is central. And the Spirit saturates the entire process of our worship. And so rather than today just simply talking about worship, we're going to participate in worship. What's going to happen is we're going to collectively recite the text that's in front of you. So you'll have to be able to read. Hopefully I made it bold enough and big enough for some of you. 
We will recite that, and then I'm going to read one of the texts that I received, a reason why we collectively believe that God is worthy of praise. And then I'm going to invite us to affirm that statement, and then we will repeat the process here. So, let me get these texts up and be ready to go. So, collectively, I invite you to join with me. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you are God alone. And the congregation said, Amen. You are worthy, our, God, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you are almighty and the one and only true God. And the congregation said, Amen. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you are Father and Creator of all. And the congregation said, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you have given us a loving church family. And the whole congregation said, Amen. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you have answered prayers, both spoken and unspoken, and blessed us beyond belief. And the congregation said, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. Our magnificent, a creator of all of the universe. And the congregation said, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. Are the one and only I am. And the congregation said, You are worthy our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you are holy and all-loving. And the congregation said, Amen. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you have brought me this far and kept me safe in this troubled world with its trials and temptations. And the congregation said, Amen. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you have seen me in my affliction, have not turned your face from me in my days of pain and weariness. I am grateful for you and give you glory in your sustaining hand in my life. And the congregation said, Amen. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you rescued me. And the whole congregation said, Amen. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you. Fill me with joy. And the congregation said, Amen. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you in your Son have a place around the table for all people, no matter who we are or what we've done. And the congregation said, Amen. Amen. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you have blessed me more than I've ever deserved. You've kept me through, though I've failed you greatly. You have given me an eternal home with you that I am so unworthy of. And the congregation says, Amen. 
And I hope that wasn't too repetitive or too boring for you because I suspect we're going to spend an awful lot of time in eternity just simply saying those words. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. And we will be reminded time and time again of all that God has done. So may we begin to practice here the praise that for eternity we will continue giving God all of the glory and the honor through His Son, Jesus Christ, as the Spirit Himself delights in our worship. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn His face towards you and give you peace. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. If you want to respond in any way, you'll have that opportunity. I'll be in the back. Some of our elders will be back there. We can pray with you. Uh, we can talk with you. We can talk about what's next in your, in your Christian life. If you have any kind of a need, we invite you to come to the back while we stand and while we sing.